Mike, overcome with emotion is exactly how I would describe LeBron's reaction as he shares a hug with Kyrie. We'll get in a minute, but he is still crying tears of joy. Cleveland! This is for you! Ow! The Celtics and the Cavs that would basically swap the starting point guards for the two teams that faced off in last year's Eastern Conference Finals. Kyrie Irving going to Boston. Isaiah Thomas going to Cleveland along with some other players and a draft pick. You take a look. The Lakers have landed LeBron. The NBA's preeminent insider Adrian Wojnarowski is here. Tell us everything you know. A four-year, $154 million a max deal. That's, that's what he can sign in L.A. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers select Colin Sexton from the University of Alabama. Darius Garland from Vanderbilt University. Dylan Windler from Belmont University. Kevin Porter Jr. from the University of Southern California. Kevin Porter Jr. has been waiting a long time. This was the Bucks pick that was originally going to Detroit, and I'm told now going to Cleveland. 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 Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Capital of the World, a booming center of industry where some of the hardest working Americans live. Just three years ago, Cleveland was title town. It was the center of the NBA universe where LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and the rest of those guys, JR, Tristan Thompson, Amon Shumpert, they sat there and they raised the Larry O'Brien to the sky after beating the 73-9 Golden State Warriors in the most unprecedented first championship of any NBA team, especially the perennially disappointing Cleveland Cavaliers. What the hell happened? In just three short years, the Cavs imploded and went from a powerhouse atop the Eastern Conference to one of the absolute worst teams in the league last season. Also, this season, they're ranked 30th across multiple draft boards, including mine. That's why I'm here. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers to figure out exactly what went wrong this offseason, last season, and what's going on with them and why they're going into the 2019-2020 NBA season as my worst team in the league. The first season without the King went pretty much exactly how everyone imagined it would go. Who thought this team was going to be good? I don't think anybody did. They were dysfunctional. J.R. Smith went MIA. Kevin Love, the guy that they gave a massive four-year, $120 million extension to, played 22 games. That's it. 22 games. This team was all over the place last year. They, they couldn't even stay relevant. I don't even think I heard much about the Cavaliers last season. The year before... LeBron's last season in Cleveland, they were on national television 39 times. I guess that's what you get when you have LeBron James, the best player in the world, on your team. But as soon as he goes away, you saw how quickly everything happened in Cleveland, how quickly everything disappeared, the media, the attention, people caring about the Cavaliers. No one cares about the Cavaliers unless LeBron's there. Even when Kyrie was there, before LeBron came back. 
No one cares about the Cavaliers. So then last season, after a super slow start, 4-17 by the end of November, they decided to fire Ty Lue, their NBA champion coach. The guy who got stepped over by Allen Iverson. The guy who became friends with LeBron James and the guy who's now the lead assistant coach on the Los Angeles Clippers. They decided to replace Ty Lue with Larry Drew, veteran head coach. This guy has been everywhere. I can't think of a team that Larry Drew hasn't at least been an assistant coach or a coordinator or something on. He's been everywhere. But the team he inherited, they weren't good. They weren't good at all. They finished the season last year 19-63. and 63. You know what that put them in in the Eastern Conference? 14th. And then, <laughs> 28th league-wide. They were the 28th worst team in the NBA last season. That is a bottom three squad. So, the good thing for the Cleveland Cavaliers is that at the end of that atrocious last season, they ended up having a bit of what I would think is a game plan. Not a fully set in stone one, but one that they had pieces to be able to build around. Eighth overall selection from last year's draft, rookie point guard Colin Sexton. He had an okay season. I, you can't really say much about Colin Sexton that he had a bad season. His scoring was pretty good. 16.7 points per game on 43% shooting, 40% on his threes. He's a score-first point guard. You can't say that he was bad. They shouldn't have been surprised to see him struggle with all his playmaking where he only managed like three assists a game. Uh, he was playing 31 minutes and only averaged three assists a game, but they drafted him knowing that. They drafted him out of Alabama knowing that he was going to be a guy who could score quick but is going to take some time to develop that playmaking. It's not great for a top 10 pick starting point guard, but it's not so bad to the point where it's detrimental moving forward. Especially, especially with what the Cavs did this offseason during the draft. Right? We all know about the Darius Garland thing. We're going to get to Darius Garland in a minute. But looking back at last season, they had some stat leaders that were kind of interesting. So their points per game stat leader was Kevin Love. The guy who played 22 games, that was their points per game stat leader. You know how many points he averaged in those 22 games? 17. 17 points. Their leading scorer <laughs> was averaging 17 points per game. But he got hurt. So then they bring in Jordan Clarkson as the number two points per game guy, averaging 16.8. So realistically, realistically, their best player wasn't even averaging 17 points a game. Their best scorer, I'm sorry, wasn't even averaging 17 points a game. That's awful. That's not good. At, that's not good at all. To not even have one player that can average 20 points a game, that's a ticket. That is a punch ticket to the lottery. Immediately. That's a punch ticket to a top five pick, top three pick. Unfortunately, they got screwed out of it with the new lottery system, but that is exactly where they ended up. Then, Colin Sexton was their third leading scorer with 16.7 points per game. So, you have two guys who are averaging 16 points a game, 17 points a game if you really you know, want to round up. What is that? That's nothing. That is literally nothing. And as if their points per game situation wasn't bad enough, you know who their leading playmaker was? <laughs> Matthew Della Vadova, Delhi, 
the Australian national. He led the Cavs in assists with 4.2 a game. 4.2 assists a game. I'm trying to fathom, as I speak to you right now, what 4.2 assists per game can look like as the leading assist guy. The third-string point guard on the New York Knicks averages more assists per game. Frank Nittiklina averages more assists per game. Alfred Payton averages more assists. Dennis Smith Jr. averages more assists per game. Are you serious? Seriously? Matthew Dellavedova was their leading assist guy? And then you know who was number two? This I found funny. Power forward Larry Nance Jr. with 3.2 assists per game. That's, that's abysmal. You have your power forward, a backup power forward who got put into the starting role because of an injury to your starting power forward. 3.2 assists per game. Oh, that is, that is awful. Then on the less glamorous side, with rebounds, you had Kevin Love leading the team with 10.9, but like I said before, I don't count Kevin Love's stats because he was hurt, right? So their number two guy was Tristan Thompson, the most hated man in Beverly Hills, led the team in rebounds with 10.2 rebounds per game. That, that could be good if it was coupled with great scoring or at least 12, 13 points a game. If he was putting up Dwight Howard-esque numbers, like 15 and 10, okay. But Tristan Thompson was averaging 10 or under pretty much all season. So, yes, he got a lot of rebounds, but it obviously didn't turn into much when your leading scorer is averaging 16.8 points per game. If they ha If I had to select a defensive player of the year for the Cavaliers, I would say Larry Nance Jr., uh, he led the team in blocks and steals. Their steal leader, Larry Nance Jr., led with .6 steals per game. That's less than one steal per game. That's that's baffling. That's absolutely baffling. And then 1.5 blocks per game, which is good. You know what? That is a good stat. That is a good stat. And then he was also third on the team for rebounds. So those are good defensive stats. They had a very good defensive guy there. If I had to say an Opoy, Colin Sexton. Easily. Jordan Clarkson may have led the team in points per game, but I really liked what Colin Sexton was doing with the scoring. He started off slow, especially with the vets on his case the entire time. If you remember that storyline of people like George Hill and J.R. Smith getting on his case in the locker room and yelling at him and saying that they didn't like him and they didn't like his attitude and yada yada. But he grew up as the season went on and he got significantly better. So, unfortunately, it seems like the highlight of last season for the Cavs was the off-court drama with Tristan and Chloe. If your highlight of a season is drama between you and a Kardashian, your team is terrible. Your team is awful. <laughs> no one, that is the last thing on anybody's mind. Anybody who at least likes sports' mind. So, if that's your highlight, where was your season? Pretty much in the trash. For the Cleveland Cavaliers, but at least they did get the fifth overall pick in the draft, right? That counts for something. It, I, I, at least I think it counts for something, but unfortunately, it doesn't <laughs> because the Cleveland Cavaliers, who need a wing, their starting wing right now is Chetty Osman, where I like Chetty. I don't think he's the future for this team 
at that position. So most assumed on draft night that the Cavs would be in the mix to trade up for somebody like DeAndre Hunter, right? Maybe take a waiver on Cam Reddish, trade down a little bit, trade down again, maybe go after Jarrett Culver. But instead, the Cleveland Cavaliers decided to be the team that drafted Darius Garland, the six foot two point guard from Vandy Vanderbilt University. Garland was a lock for a top five prospect spot, but then he tore his meniscus five games into the season. The Cavs are literally going after people who are getting injured. They're picking up people who are getting injured. It looks like they want injured players. But it seems like they were impressed enough with what they saw in those five games and high school two years ago now to risk it. Okay, great. But the thing is that the year before, they used their top 10 pick on another point guard, Colin Sexton, who I was just talking about, who I just said I liked, who I just said was a solid scoring point guard. So Garland comes in right now. He's a totally different player. He brings an entirely different game to the table than Colin Sexton. Garland is more of a playmaker, pass-first point guard. Sexton is always looking to get that bucket, right? So... I don't know what John Balin is trying to do, Kobe Altman is trying to do, but they're looking to see if these two guys can coexist in a one-two combo punch type situation where they have Garland at the point and they have Sexton at the two. The problem is they're both the size of point guards. Colin Sexton isn't that much taller than Darius Garland. So you're going to have two small guards, small guards, playing a position playing basically combo guard because they might switch because they both can handle the ball. And you're going to have these guys defending guys like Clay Thompson, guys like Josh Richardson, guys like DeMar DeRozan, Norman Powell, right? These big, tall two guards that pretty much switch onto wings whenever they want to. That's not smart. Two small point guards. Two guys that are point guards. Colin Sexton's not a two-guard. He's a point guard. That's not a good idea. I I don't think that's a great, crazy science experiment by Balin and Kobe Altman because it's going to end poorly. One of them's going to get traded. One of them's not going to be that good. Or it's going to be one starts, one's on the bench, and one of them leaves. Or they cut one of them, trade one of them. But the good thing for the Cavs is that wasn't their only selection. Right? They drafted the senior small forward out of Belmont University, Dylan Windler. Great. Congrats. I mean, you guys heard the clip at the beginning of this episode where they said Dylan Windler, and everyone was just kind of like, okay, Dylan Windler, sick. He was pretty good. What can I say? He was pretty good for a senior. He was averaging 21.3 points per game and 10.8 rebounds per game, adding more rebounding, which is something that they were already fine with, but you can never have enough rebounding. And a guy who seems like he can score, right? This was his career high throughout college was this 21.3 and 10.8, and he played four seasons. So that's pretty decent. He was efficient at the college three with 43%, not as high as somebody uh, somebody who's obviously gets picked higher in the draft, but he's a senior, so he obviously has been working on it for a while. He's coming in a lot more mature. And then he also shot 54% overall. So he can score. That's fine. 
They need that. They need a wing that can score. So maybe Dylan Windler might be the guy that actually surprises everybody from this draft. But then finishing up their big draft day, the Cavs decided that they might as well try with Kevin Porter Jr., the super troubled USC shooting guard. The problem with Kevin Porter Jr. is that he's so likable, right? You watch him, you see him interact with people. He just seems like the type of, like a man's man, like a good guy. You just want to sit down, have a drink with him, talk to him, and learn more about him. He's got potential. He's explosive off the bounce. He was a former five-star recruit. But he's got conduct issues. He's got injury history. Again, another guy with injury history. And the other problem, too, is that he had this thing at USC in the few games that he played where it just looked like he had a lack of effort. I sat here when I was making this video, and I just I didn't really catch too much of Kevin Porter Jr. when he was at USC. So I sat here and watched a bunch of highlights of him in high school and of him in college. In high school, explosive, crazy, awesome, great, talented guy. He could do anything and everything. But then you watch him in college. He's slightly slower. He looks slightly like he doesn't care. It's these little things in his mannerisms and his attitude where he's not really going for that board. He's not diving for the ball. He's passing out when he has an easy lane. He just has to go up. And then he gets injured. So that doesn't help. And then the conduct issues and he gets suspended for the rest of the season. So it was a lackluster season at USC. I really like Kevin Porter Jr., but it was lackluster. And... I hope to see him see it. I hope to see him succeed at the NBA level. But he has to realize that this is the league now. You don't mess around in the league. You don't mess around in the NBA. You don't assume that you're just going to make the roster. He was taken with the 30th pick by the Bucks, right? And traded to the Cavs. He can't just assume that he's going to be on this team and going to be their shooting guard and maybe he has the ability to be their starting shooting guard. He can't just assume that. He has to try. He has to give a damn. He has to actually do something. That's what I want to see from Kevin Porter Jr. this season. I want to see him actually do something. Their draft class, Cleveland's, it was all over the place. They took so many risks. Kevin Porter Jr., injuries and conduct. Dylan Windler, senior, took him four years to get to that 21 and 10 when you have guys doing that when they're 17 years old. So... Those two guys are okay. You know, they're their later round picks. They can, you know, those type of guys, it's okay if they don't turn into a superstar. As long as they're efficient, as long as they can do their job, that's all they need to do. But then Darius Garland, such a huge question mark. Such a huge question mark. I don't know if he's going to work. I don't know if Darius Garland and Colin Sexton is going to work. Plus, Darius Garland's always hurt. At least his one season in Vanderbilt. So I hope to see the Darius Garland we saw in those five games and in high school. But you never know what you're going to see, especially after a torn meniscus. Now, a torn meniscus is not something like an ACL or an MCL or an Achilles. But a torn meniscus is still a significant injury, especially when you're 19 years old, 18, 19 years old. So it's going to be interesting to see how, the, how that whole Darius Garland situation pans out. You know, I have my personal reservations about it, how they're going to fit on the team. You know, how Garland and Sexton are going to work in that two-guard, uh, two-small-guard set. You know, are we going to see Kevin Porter Jr. take those steps towards maturing? Is he going to become that guy, that superstar that people expected from him when he was in high school? Or is he going to flame out? 
is going to be the, let's see, he's in Cleveland. Is he going to be the Johnny Manziel of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Who knows? Is Dylan Windler going to be given a fair shot over Chetty Osman? We'll see. I think it's going to be super interesting to watch the Cavaliers. They're not going to be good, and I don't mean watch them for their basketball because it's not going to be entertaining, but it's going to be interesting to watch them and see how they maneuver these young guys and maneuver these rookies and put them into situations to succeed, and if they can do that. And before we talk about their lackluster offseason, because that also ties in with the whole draft and rookie situation, I think we need to talk about their salary cap situation. Cleveland had an Awful salary cap going into the offseason. You want to know the worst part? It got worse. These guys who are a guaranteed lottery team are going to be paying the luxury tax during the 2019-2020 season. Competing teams pay the luxury tax. They pay it because they know they're going to have a serious chance to win a ring. When I was making this episode, I actually ended up falling down the rabbit hole. Okay, I was looking into all the money on Real GM, basketball reference, and I was trying to figure out, okay, here are the numbers. What's the story behind these numbers? I was looking up news articles, trying to figure out, okay, this player, that player, this guy got this because of that, this guy got this because of that. I couldn't find anything. These guys are just handing out money in these contracts willy-nilly, or they're trading for guys like a John Henson for $9 million, why are you giving him nine? Why are you trading for a guy who's worth nine million dollars? That is so stupid because he is not worth nine million dollars. He's just being paid nine million dollars. It seems like the Cavs are going to be that team this season, like the Sixers in what 2013, just handing out money to anybody willing to accept it. If you guys need just a point guard who can play a little bit of defense and that's about it, I will gladly sign up for your team. Please. Give me the bare minimum of, what, $750,000 to sit on the bench and basically be a cheerleader? Gladly will I accept that. But then you look, well, back to reality, you look at Kevin Love's contract, right? That's ridiculous. You have a 30-year-old with a long injury history being given $120 million to lead this team in a post-LeBron rebuild. That's right. I read an article from Forbes that said that the Cleveland Cavaliers gave Kevin Love a $120 million contract to help lead the Cavaliers back to relevance in the post-Braun world. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Who thought this was a good idea? Kevin Love is a great player, a really good player at this point, but he's not a pillar to build around. He wasn't when he was 24 in Minnesota, and he sure as hell is not now when he's pushing 30. He's on the wrong side of 30 now, and he's always hurt. That type of player, you do not give that money to, especially if you're a bad team like the Cavs. Maybe give him a little bit of less, use him as a trade chip, one- or two-year deal, send him out. Send him to San Antonio, to Portland, Miami. Do not give him a four-year 120 contract. That is Dumb. That is stupid. That is bad business. Adding to the bad cap situation, you also have the $39 million trio of Brandon Knight and the 2X Lakers, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. These three guys, three guys are making $13 million each. Jordan Clarkson, 
Well-deserved. He was the team's leading scorer last season. He's generally efficient. Needs to work on his three-point shooting. He's not a very good three-point shooter, but he was good enough. Okay, He was good enough to get that kind of money and earn that kind of money that's like backup six-man, seventh-man money. That's fine. Larry Nance Jr., he's... I wouldn't say he's worth $13 million. I know I said he was their defensive player, but I wouldn't give him $13 million. I'd say somewhere between 9 to $11 million. Uh, you know, just not, not only because he was third on this team in rebounds and is a pure energy guy and led the team in blocks and steals and just as this defensive presence on the team, but he doesn't have everything to be that sixth man type player to make... $13 million or that average on and off starter to make $13 million. Clarkson, yes. Him, not so much. But Brandon Knight, absolutely not. $13 million for Brandon Knight. This guy put up 8.5 points per game on 41% shooting. 41%, not three-point shooting. 41% from the field in general. Two-pointers, three-pointers, layups, dunks. 41%. 2.3 assists per game, and 1.9 rebounds per game over 22 minutes of action. That's not great. That is not great at all. Who said that this guy was worth $13 million? Using an accounting term, Brandon is a sunk cost. Meaning, for those of you that don't know, is that it's a cost that's already been incurred, that's already been spent, and can't be recovered. Brandon Knight is the definition of a sunk cost. See, you know what? Actually, there you go. I'm teaching you accounting on a sports podcast. You're welcome. That was my good deed for the day. But back to the Cavs cap situation. Then you also have Tristan Thompson, who's soaking up $18 million literally by himself. Tristan Thompson. Tristan, father of True, ex of Chloe, Jordan Woods aficionado, that Tristan Thompson is making $18 million by himself. He is not worth $18 million, not even close. His encore production does not match that price tag. So why are they paying him that kind of money? That is absurd. The Cavs need to figure out a way to either cut him, extend that, you know, stretch out that money, get him off the team, Trade him to somewhere else. Get him to like Orlando or something. I don't know. Some team that'll just take anybody. Maybe the Wizards. The Hornets, obviously. The Hornets seem to love, love paying guys that do not deserve money. See Terry Rozier and my rant about Terry Rozier on last week's episode of For the Record. That would be the perfect case scenario for the Cavs. Get rid of Tristan Thompson's contract. That should be that and getting rid of Kevin Love's contract should be priority number one this season because they should not be paying the luxury tax for a team that is going to get a top five pick next season. But pivoting back to their offseason, right? Now coming full circle after the salary cap, the rookie situation, back to their offseason. It hasn't been kind at all too kind, even sweet to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Starting with Summer League, they didn't do very much. Garland and KPJ, Kevin Porter Jr., they didn't play at all. And Dylan Windler, <laughs> he scored 11 points per game on 40% shooting. Okay, I mean, it's a Summer League uh, debut. So I don't really take too much into account about Summer League. I am a strong proponent of the fact that Summer League is 
summer league. It's in Las Vegas. These guys are having fun. It's their first time in an NBA uniform, sort of. So I don't I don't take that into account because how many guys have been super good in summer league, right? Look at a guy like Kevin Knox. And then when the actual season comes, they're okay. They're not that good. Or they disappear in two years and you never see them again in the NBA. And then how many guys are bad? And actually, be, or actually are good in the regular season, and actually are a player who can do a ton and who are become superstars. So, I don't take summer league into account. But there was nothing too exhilarating from the Cavs, the wine and gold. Nothing that great from them in summer league. Then came free agency. So this was a period where they literally just stood pat and didn't do anything. They lost guys like Nick Stauskas. I think he went back to, to Russia or something. Channing Fry, J.R. Smith, they waived him. And they replaced these three guys, guys that you know can be solid rotation pieces, with people like Dean Wade, Alex Robinson, and Malik Newman. If you heard last week's episode of For the Record, you'll know that I didn't even know these guys were in the NBA. I didn't even know who the hell these guys were. So, like I said earlier, the Cavs were pretty much cap-strapped. I don't know if that's a word. I don't know if people use that, but I'm going to I'm going to try and make that a thing. Cap strapped. Basically meaning they were strapped for money, right? It's derivative of strapped for cash. Cap strapped and they couldn't make any significant signings during the free agency period. So, you're going to be seeing practically the same team that rolled out last season this year with new additions that are worse to replace the guys that they lost. So, it's pretty much the same team with worse guys in the place of Nick Stauskas, Channing Fry, and J.R. Smith. How do you... They significantly... They, they literally went from the third worst team in the NBA to pretty much the worst team in the NBA in one offseason. So, since free agency, they haven't done anything else. They've pretty much been quiet. You don't hear about the Cleveland Cavaliers at all. I never hear about the Cavs. They basically sunk into that whole media no-fly zone thing with Cleveland, especially with the Browns now, to take away all that Cleveland media attention. You have Odell, you have Baker, you have all those big, big, cool fo football guys out there taking up all the attention of the media. No one cares about the Cavs anymore. It's unfortunate, but it's true. No one cares about the Cavs. No one, no one cares at all. And we're going to be seeing that as the season goes on because... I don't think they have many nationally televised games. I'd say my guess is going to be under 10, maybe even under 8 nationally televised games because who wants to watch this team put up 80 points and get blown out by 50? The best case scenario for these guys is a top 5 draft pick, 13th in the East, and in a dream world, Sexton and Garland work perfectly together. KPJ, Kevin Porter Jr. shows off that five-star recruit potential. And the rest of the team, you know what? They turn into valuable trade pieces or guys like Chetty Osman and uh, Dylan Windler, Alex Robinson, Malik Newman. These guys become out of nowhere stars overnight or at least viable starters overnight but their worst case scenario which is what I believe is more going to happen with these guys is they'll be last place in the NBA they're going to get screwed out of the number one pick like the Knicks did last season and honestly they might even fall out of the top 10 in some doomsday scenario and then that pick 
goes to a different team. So it's going to be a whole thing, in my opinion, in the Cavaliers' offseason because that's just how the Cavs are. That's what happens to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers are always in situations that they shouldn't be in, that they don't deserve to be in. The Cavs are the lovable losers every single year because you root for them, you want to see them succeed, but they never do. And that one time, that one time they beat the Warriors, oh my God, everybody was a Cavs fan. Not, not an actual Cavs fan, but at least saying, I'm so glad they won. And not even because people hate the Warriors, but because people just like seeing stories of underdogs like the Cavs, a team that has struggled, a team that truly embodies that city succeed and say you know what your glitz and glamour out in california we're better than that and we can top that and they did it they beat them in california they beat them in oakland i don't think lebron will ever have another victory like that he could win four straight titles in la play a season with his son win a title with his son and retire and i don't think there'll ever be a title like the one he won in cleveland but we're no longer in 2016. This is today, going into the 2019-2020 season. And my final grade for these guys going into this season is unfortunately an F. They are the Cleveland Cavaliers, without question, the worst team in the NBA this season. If they don't end up with the worst record in the league, they are so poorly equipped for future success because of question marks all over that roster, and devoid of talent outside of their promising young guys, that their outlook, even beyond this season, doesn't look that great. So they need to have to, a entire hard reset, trade, wave as many people as possible, as many assets as they have as possible to just get rid of Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, uh, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love. Just get rid of these guys so they can actually rebuild instead of this weird limbo where they're bad, they're really bad, but they have guys that can actually contribute on good teams. And also, this weird situation where they're paying the luxury tax for a bottom-feeding team. Or, what I like to call, a lottery-bound dumpster fire. Thank you so much for listening to this first team season preview of the Cleveland Cavaliers, guys. I am so thankful for all the views, all the listens, all the ratings. We're now on Apple Podcasts. That was super exciting news today that we finally got the show on there. We're also on Spotify Podcasts and a lot of other places like Anchor, Pocket Casts, and among others. So please do listen to the show, like it, subscribe to it, favorite it, tweet it if you want to, put it on your Instagram do whatever you want. Five-star it. You know, make it known that you like this show because I put a lot of effort into this and I really enjoy doing this. So it'd be nice just to get a little token of your appreciation with a nice rating. Please do make sure to follow the show at For the Record SP on Instagram and Twitter. So that way you can stay in touch with the show, with what's going on, and know when these little bonus episodes like this are going to be coming out and also the cool content that'll be coming out in the future. Also, if you'd like to be a guest star on the show or if you would like to sponsor a segment, sponsor an episode, maybe even just hop on for whatever. Maybe you just want to email me a question about sports. I'll gladly answer it on air. I have no problem with that. So just email me at admin at bustpotential.com. Link will be in the description. 
As always, have a great week, everybody. Make sure to do something good. Do something nice. Hold the door for somebody. Say somebody looks nice. Buy somebody a coffee. Give somebody a dollar. Just be a good person. Doesn't take too much effort, and it really makes the world a better place. Have a great one. See you next time. Peace.